lovely listeners. I have some bad news. In this episode, in the first half, me and Will's recording wasn't the best. He is a pretty loud boy, so you can still kind of hear what he's saying, but for me, I am going to awkwardly ADR my voice. Um, So if it sounds weird, that's why. Sorry, guys, but I hope you can still enjoy the content and gets better in the second half. Okay, love you, bye. And now presenting the Date Night Drive-In. Hello, and welcome back to the Date Night Drive-In. I'm Will, and with me I have uh, my lovely, uh, reliable partner, you. You are my reliable partner. Introduce yourself. Reliable. <laughs> said sarcastically. Yeah. Said sarcastically. Um, my name is Am, and we have a special guest today. I'm not going to obliquely insult. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I take it. <laughs> Hello, my name is Chloe. Hello, Chloe. How are you? Hello. I'm good. I am sleepy, but then there's no difference there. I'm always sleepy. <laughs> yep. So, Chloe has listened to the podcast before. Well done, Chloe. Good friend for yes, that. Yes, I have. And we decided to drag you in for this one because it's Amadeus, so it's about um, that, that one classical composer man. Um, and Chloe knows uh, a lot of things about music and is good at playing music as well. Yeah, however, I know virtually nothing about film. <laughs> That's what I'm for. Yeah, we balance it out. Exactly. So Chloe famously um, has not seen very many films at all. No, I don't watch things. You've seen at least one movie. So would you like to tell us what your favourite film in all the entire world is? I mean, you all, you both already know this, but my absolute favourite film in the world is Back to the Future. And all the all the times that I probably should have been watching other like classic movies, and I've just watched that over and over again. So much so, there's a massive poster on my wall, not right next to me, right now. <laughs> and you've been to the Back to the Future uh, musical as well. I have. You? It was so good. I very rarely buy programs at musicals, but I was like, I'm buying a program at this one. <laughs> and um, no spoilers, but I believe Back to the Future is probably on the top 100, so we might have to get you back. As it should be. It's number one. It should be. <laughs> is is the first one your favourite? You are you a purist? Yeah, or... I think. Well, I quite like number two, but number two, you can't really enjoy number two if you haven't seen the first one because it will just make no sense at all so the first one has to be the best by that standard i'll logic my way out of this somehow <laughs> no, fair, fair enough so today we are talking about amadeus um it's a film that came out in 1984 which was based on a play from 1979 by peter Schaffer who you may or may not have heard of he's directed like a load of uh, written and directed like a load of plays um, I'll just fire out a few because there's some really well-known ones. So he did Equus, which hmm. you might have heard of. Is much. that the one with the horse head? That's yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that one. Um, Lettuce and Lovage was a satire, like a satire play that he wrote for Maggie mm. Smith. He, so he's done a few things. Amadeus mm. is definitely his most well-known one. And he also wrote the um, the adaptation for this film, which we're talking about. So, um, I've not seen this movie, and you have, Chloe, you haven't? No, I've heard one or two tiny things about it, but the actual film I know nothing about. 
Yeah, so um, back in school, I was in the dumb kids music class because I can't read music. And instead of teaching us, we would just uh, watch Amadeus again and again. Um, so I, I may have fallen asleep once or twice watching it because it's pretty long. It's, it's a long film, is the other thing. It's two hours 40. It's perfect for a rainy bank mm. holiday. Which is what we are. It's raining True. and it's a bank holiday. So, yeah, um, thank you for joining us, Chloe. Sorry we've subjected you to a two hour 40. Um, Oh, it is fine. I, yeah, like this is the way you're gonna get me to watch films. Exactly. <laughs> this actually our plot. To... It's all it's all a ruse just to get me to watch a film. <laughs> yeah, Back to the not short. Back to the Future's like two hours as well. No, so. no, for the time it's quite long. So, actually. so Anne, do you want to quickly run us through like a headline plot of uh, Amadeus? Okay, so this movie starts with an old Salieri played by our favorite king F. Murray Abraham. Salieri is old and dying and life is not going well for him. Um, this is our framing device. He's basically recounting his life and his relationship with Mozart to a priest. And he's always felt like he was second best to Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, our, I guess, titular antagonist. Um, and one of the things I think is really cool about the movie is that it's not even named after Salieri, even though, like, he's the main character and it's his perspective. It's called Amadeus, because that's what Salieri's world kind of revolves around. So, yeah, Salieri kind of ends his <laughs> story consumed with anger Sad. and guilt. And I guess it's kind of a morality tale about, like, achieving mastery or attempting to achieve mastery and sole focus on a discipline and kind of the narcissistic idea that you are the world's main character mm -hmm. um, can ultimately destroy you. And, you know, how greatness <laughs> is a... Or aspiration to greatness is maybe not an ambition, but instead a disease. Womp womp. So, lo lovely, lovely light film to watch with our, with our good friend Chloe. Uh, it is fun. So the, the film is directed by Milos Forman, who's directed other films that um, people have heard of, which include uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, mm -hmm. definitely on this list, um, great film. Uh, the People vs. Larry mm -hmm. Flint with Woody oh Harrelson, I think, is in it? That's right, isn't it? It's Woody Harrelson. Um, and Hair, the film based on the musical about Vietnam protesters, right? Yeah. Yeah. The top cast is Tom Hosey, who's pretty much best known for this um he plays um he plays mozart and he also voiced quasimodo in the uh, disney um lunchback of notre dame yeah so there, there you are <laughs> there's a, a random connection for you um what a range right it's it's, it's yeah, <laughs> i guess they're both tragic stories yeah <laughs> um and f murray abraham has sort of been in like a load of stuff uh he's most recently worked very closely with wes anderson so he plays um, Mr. Mufasa, who's the grown-up lobby boy in yeah. um, uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel, for example, which is one of my favourite films. So yeah, there's that. Um, I'll do I'll do our trivia now while we're triviaing. Trivia time. Trivia time with trivia. Will. Uh, thank you to the IMDb trivia section <laughs> for this. Um, every time someone is shown in the film playing a musical note on like a piano or uh, like a violin or whatever. Um, it corresponds exactly with the actual sound that plays. So 
everything is like matched up perfectly. So if a key is pressed, it's like that is the exact note that plays. It's quite cool. Um, that is they... cool. I feel like that would have been much easier if they literally just played the instruments in the recording when they're recording well, it. Well, connected to that. And then they wouldn't have to do the matching up. Connected to that, Tom Holsey plays Mozart. <laughs> could not play any musical instruments when they started filming this film and he learned in six months to play <laughs> piano well enough to be in this film ah didn't um i can't remember the actor's name but the, the guy the guy that was playing the, the drums for bohemian rhapsody um told them he could play the drums when he was cast and then they cast him and he was like lol i don't play the drums and so he learned them that's great <laughs> yeah and i was like if i did that i would never be worked with again <laughs> Uh, amazing what you can get away with when you're a white man, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, and marginally famous. Marginally famous, right. And my last fun fact is that um, this film has no artificial... Well, no artificial lighting in it at all. So they didn't use, like, stage lamps or light bulbs oh, or anything. That, that was sexy. It was all filmed. Oh. I knew I knew Anne would enjoy that one. <laughs> it was all filmed by, like, daylight, firelight or candlelight. Oh, my God. Oh, that wow. A pale logistical nightmare. I was about to say. Yeah. Yeah. And it was recognised as well because um, the film got a really good return of $90 million box office on an $80 million budget, which I think is quite surprising. I don't know what you guys think, but I guess from the plot of like, here's a nearly three hour movie about two classical music composers that didn't really like each other. That being like a big commercial success is. For any listeners who feel the same way, I would really recommend going and watching the trailer because the marketing for this movie was great. It was really good. Yeah, I feel like because it's if because it, it's about Mozart, who is a composer that everybody at least has heard the name of. You know, yeah. if, if you frame it right, then even people that aren't interested in classical music at all might want to see it because they're like, oh, hey, Mozart, I know him. Yeah, well, I think this was really an era where we weren't getting... Uh, yeah, 1984. Yeah, and this was an era where we weren't getting a lot of period drama in film, mm. um, so it would kind of have that novelty effect to it. Yeah, yeah, true. True. Well, anyway, it was yeah. a huge financial success. It was also a huge critical success. Yeah. So can you guess how many Oscar nominations it got? <laughs> I can, because when we were doing the prep earlier, <laughs> Will was looking at facts and went, oh my God, this movie got blank nominations? So go, go and Chloe if you had to guess how many Oscar nominations and how many wins. Well, for somebody that absolutely has never followed the Oscars in their life, I'm going to pick some numbers out for mm-hmm. there. Um, let's say... Yeah, but also with no data, you can't do any maths. <laughs> um, how... I don't know. I don't know what is considered big or, or small. So let's go with, I don't know... 15 nominations? That is absolutely uh, right. It was 15 nominations. No! Amazing. No way! That, that, is, uh-huh. that is a lot of nominations, though. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, I was trying to think of that an upper bound. <laughs> uh, you, well, yeah. You, oh, God. You, you hit the upper bound. Like, for example, um, The Godfather, like, you know, widely, I would say, a lot of people think it's, like, one of the best films ever, got like one to about the same number of nominations it's like got yeah yeah very very impressively high i wouldn't be surprised wow. if this is like top 10 most oscar nominations of all time in a single film or something so yeah lots <laughs> and how many wins do you think it got then out of those bearing in mind oh this is where some we're... of those nominations would have been in the same category yeah this is where i'm gonna get full down let's go with 
six. Really close. It was yeah. eight. So. Oh. So we've got nine for alone things which I'm not going to read out, and won eight, eight of them. So best leading actor for F. Murray Abraham playing Salieri. Tom Hosey also got nominated for best leading actor, but they gave it to F. Murray Abraham instead. Best sound, which you'd hope for from a, yeah. a music film. Yeah. Uh, best costume. Best set design, best makeup, best picture, best director, and best adapted screenplay. That's all the big ones. So, yeah, pretty much everything. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe one noticeable omission, which is um, n- no no women. Yeah. To be fair. It's a film about two no. men. Yeah, there are one or two named female characters, and they do not have a lot of screen time. Fantastic. Yeah. But hey. Yeah. Our favourite. It's a film the IMDb Top 100, <laughs> after all. <laughs> That's one of our constant themes so far. I was like, this would be great Women. if there were Women. not just all white guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, another fun fact that I've just found out is that the stage plays Broadway one, uh, Broadway run had um, both Tim Curry and Mark Hamill. Oh. Um, I just want to make it publicly known that I would kill to see this run and I do duo. think about this constantly in the back of my mind. Which is great. And um, Mark Hamill also auditioned for the film to play um Salieri but the film came out like two yeah. years obviously after like the Empire Strikes Back and Milos Forman didn't want to cast him because he was like people just go that's Luke Skywalker yeah. Which, fair enough. to be fair Mark Hamill has rode the train of I'm Luke Skywalker for his entire life and he seems pretty happy with it so like yeah <laughs> fair enough yeah and uh, no this is yeah that wasn't like a oh pity pity Mark Hamill this yeah. poor, yeah. poor multi-millionaire <laughs> Like, his two things are, he's Luke Skywalker and everything, and he voices the Joker all the yeah, time Yeah, he's well. a very accomplished voice actor, and everyone always forgets about it, because they're like, oh, he's Luke, he's Luke Skywalker. Yeah, there are there are very few actors that I respect more than Mark Hamill. I have a lot of time Don't for Chloe does like Star Wars as well. I also, I'm obsessed with Star Wars, so that might be part of it, but... <laughs> he voices one of the, the future, films that I show uh, in the planetarium that I work at. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, like a like a, a space documentary. Yeah, he narrates it. That's awesome. I've got one narrated by Ewan McGregor as well, so it's very Star Wars heavy. Oh, <laughs> I mean, okay, if if there was one, I'd be like, that might be a coincidence. They definitely are just like people in famous sci-fi films can voice these. <laughs> That's true. I, there's a few. There's a few different ones. Who else have I got? There's Benedict Cumberbatch. There's one by Liam Neeson. There's one by Rupert Grint. <laughs> Who is surprisingly good at it. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it. I don't think I have any other ones voiced by famous people. I know there is oh, one Benedict... that's voiced by David Tennant, but I don't have that one. <laughs> oh, no. Worm, worm back onto <laughs> yes. So, so swerving back onto topic. I have not seen this film. Um, Anne has, Chloe hasn't. It's number 72 on the top 100. And from your memories, do you think that's... Yeah, from my memory, it's pretty good. Um, I would actually bump it up a little. Okay, so like a shift upwards, but a very yeah. minor. You know, like this is a top 20. Yeah, my prediction for both of you is that you'll watch it and be like, that mm. movie was amazing. I never need to watch it again. <laughs> yep, fair, fair enough. So uh, as, as regular listeners of the show will know, my criteria, I guess, for a film being top 100 is ideally both, but at least one of either it just being a incredibly remarkable good film and it being like notable in terms of changing the industry in some way and either 
narratively or technically. Like, for example, Rear Window yeah. uh, did a huge amount for, like, horror and thriller films and that sort of thing. I think, I think this was the first great musician biopic. Oh, because that's, like, a yeah. that's a fertile mm. genre now. I do, I do. Mm. And that is, like, I'm 100%. I- I mean, Chloe briefly mentioned Bohemian Rhapsody earlier. Obviously, we had um, Rocket Man, the Elton John one. There's um, uh, what's it called Walk the Line, mm-hmm. the with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. That's Johnny Cash. That was the Elvis one. one. The Bob Dylan one, Kate Blanchett. Yes, um, which I can't mm. remember what it's called. Do, do you have a favourite musician biopic, Anne? I've seen Bohemian Rhapsody. I don't think I've ever seen another musician biopic, and I quite liked it. I thought it was very good. So Person that's we'll only ever that. seen Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> getting a lot of Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> vibes from this. <laughs> so, so this, um, I'd say this film is very loosely based on history. Oh yeah, but like I also they think both that's so true of every musician biopic. Like, oh yeah, they, for sure. They both existed, and they knew each other and they were like contemporaries but that was sort of the extent of it the the idea that there was any sort of rivalry or animosity between them is um a a total kind of uh yeah it's total uh totally made up for the purposes of this film yeah you well you you agree on the historical fact (laughs) okay so um Uh, anything we're expecting, I suppose, from a first watch for me or Chloe, uh, I am going to be... Uh, I, I guess something I find interesting, and I feel like this film might do it, is having, like, anachronistic stuff. So it's set in the 1800s, but mm. I feel like they might do some... Like, they'll, ha- you know, have... Uh, yeah, some sort of historical anachronism, I think, could be interesting yeah. and maybe fit the tones of what they're going for. Uh, Chloe, I'm very much not expecting it, but I'll be upset if it's not in it. And it's the fact that I know that, uh, well, I don't know. I don't think this fact is entirely, like, verifiably true. But I have heard that Mozart was reportedly a cat boy and used to hop around and pretend to be a cat and, like, jump on tables and things uh, just for fun. I I have also heard this. And uh, I would like that in the film, but I know it won't be. (laughs) The thing... Good. Good. The, um, I think the thing I'm kind of more more expecting is uh to i i'm i'm expecting an interesting soundtrack because i'm expecting it's i'm expecting them not to just or i hope at least that they won't just play mozart's works that they're gonna actually like make it interesting in some way and like and like fit with what's going on and like adapt it slightly and if they don't i'll be sad the original soundtrack recording in front of me it is primarily Mozart that is some other that are that are some other things featured as well mm. so yeah so yeah primarily like Mozart most, but a few other bits and pieces yeah like most of the time in films when they play like classical pieces they'll like play it and it will be like seamlessly within like whatever's going on in the soundtrack at the time so that's what I'm expecting and that's what I'm hoping for uh, rather than just we're gonna cop out on writing music all together you know <laughs> Which they might do. I don't know. We'll find out. Okay. And we will have to find out because um, 
What's that sound? It's the start of the trailers. We love trailers. We love trailers. <laughs> and if you were watching this film in 1984, here are what you could have potentially had the trailers for, question mark. That's my dad's favourite year. <laughs> um, because of the the, the, the novel, yeah? No, because of the music. It's best year, oh, apparently. Oh, really? <laughs> Interesting. So um, these are the top feature films that came out in 1984 that you might have seen the uh, trailers for. So uh, this is going to be a new feature because I think it's a cool idea. Uh, uh, we will also do snacks because okay. Chloe's new on this podcast. You could have watched Footloose. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh uh, nice. Also a musical film. You could have watched uh, The Crafty Kid. Also great. Um, you could have watched Beverly Hills Cop with Eddie Murphy. That's a nice. Fight. It's fine. It's fine. And uh, the biggest one for last, the original Terminator film with oh. Arnold Schwarzenegger. I've never seen it. And just like the T-1000, we'll be back. <laughs> right. Oh, that was such a good point. I know, Can we, uh, Okay, I'll come back to that one. But first, <laughs> um, we love uh, movie snacks. Am and I always get delicious, delicious snacks. And what do you get if you were going to get a movie snack to watch the film with? I think I would have something real classy, because this is a classy mm. movie. Okay, think... so a cinema nachos again then. No, no, I think I would Oh my god. Oh my god, who's paying for that? Not me. <laughs> uh, I really feel like Maltesers, and I feel like Maltesers are quite a cinema mm. thing. Chloe, your favourite cinema snack? Well, you can you see, be as basic I, as you like. I used to work in a cinema. You and did? therefore, yes. And so I am never ever going to eat anything from a cinema that is not in a sealed packet. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Uh, so, um, but I mean, my I think my favourite snack is just fruit pastels, because I'm Good a little choice. fruity. You, you are, you are a lot. Of but also, food. they're like one of the few sweets that you can eat as a vegetarian, and they're just real nice. And they don't make a lot of noise, which is a, a major thing for me. So, I think that would go with this film as well, because I feel uh, like if anyone was a little fruity, it would be Mozart. Absolutely, and um, what the weird little cat boy. Yeah. Uh, I also, this is why we love Chloe. It's so Chloe called that you got 20 minutes into a film podcast without mentioning that you used to work at a cinema. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it was like, it's uh, like theatre and cinema, so I did yeah. both. Um, so so but, were, you, yeah. were you just like on the ticket desk? You're like an usher? No, I was, no, I was front of house, so selling oh. snacks and uh, checking. Yeah, doing the cleaning, uh, which was not fun, but it was fine. Uh, the one time that we actually had a fire alarm go off. I hadn't been fire trained. Uh, and so I had to run around not knowing what I was doing, <laughs> which was fun. <laughs> Train your staff, people. Oh, dear. Well, <laughs> anyway, like the T-1000. <laughs> it was such a good segue before. Um, we'll be back after this break from our sponsors, which are the other podcasts we're both in. There again, there are no trailers in this show. I know, but this is where they would go. <laughs> this is true. We're going to go and watch the film. We will see you in, um, at the very least, like two hours and 40 minutes. Woo! We did it, guys. We made it through that rough, rough audio waters. But I promise you, it is smooth sailing from here on out. And hey, if you've made it this far, I love you. Historically inaccurate. Uh, oh, sorry. Game. Clip, plop, 
clip, clop, clip, clop. Yeah. It's our horse and carriage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're on a horse from and the carriage. Um, yeah. Coming to a live showing of Amadeus. <laughs> with, um, with, with our own local musical talent. Chloe. With our own musical genius. <laughs> yes. Uh, maybe not that far. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Amadeus, what do we think? Yeah. yeah! Yeah! And spent the entire back half of this movie being like, this movie's, this movie's so good. This movie's really good. This movie rips. <laughs> it's great. It's, yeah, yeah, fantastic. I loved it. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, Chloe, immediate thoughts? Yeah, I really, really liked it. It was, like, fun and and everything. My one thing was it was just too bloody long. <laughs> yeah. There was, like, I was, like, halfway through yeah. and I was like, right, I've got the gist. Oh, the rest of the film is just this, you know, like, but the actual like, like the film itself, I really enjoyed. I was just sat there like this could have wrapped up about an hour ago. <laughs> In Chloe's defense, I did accidentally send her a link to the director's cut. Yes, so I guess we're I do... a director's cut family now. Ooh, I know gosh. it was the director's cut, uh, but if it's two, four, two hours, 40 minutes anyway, that's only only 20 minutes uh, uh, out of the yeah. three hours that we watched that was cut and I was, I was like hmm okay <laughs> um but yeah I think it's just because for me what it like if I've watched a really long film uh it's usually something like Lord of the Rings where there's a lot of action going on whereas this mm -hmm. film there's not a lot of, like there's not a lot of stuff going on there is stuff it's going internal, on and there's a lot of in growth. yeah there's a lot of intrigue and like plot points but it's all very kind of like you say, internal and political and like it's the same people say, talking to each other the whole film. So it feels yeah, longer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's um, not necessarily that it's bad, it just feels long. <laughs> yeah, and uh, one of my things is, is that I, 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 have, I have a take that any film that's longer than uh, 1 hour 45 needs to justify like every second that is mm, yes, above I agree. that. And I think on the whole it does. Um, there are some bits that sort of drag and like you said, you, I think you certainly end up in a scenario where you're a little bit thinking, okay, maybe I've seen this before a few times. Or yeah. you, you sort of get it. I just want to point out that my prediction the first half of this was you guys would both go, that was a great movie. I never need to see it again. Yeah. And I think I yeah. was correct. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It was a great movie. No, and I'm, I'm never going to sit down and see it again. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, Tom Hosey did the, 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 the little Mozart laugh. Oh, oh so my good. goodness! Um, Iconic. Great, really fits the character. By like the fifth or sixth time, I was like, maybe Salieri was right in what <laughs> he him. Well, that's kind of the point, isn't it? It's like you're meant to hate both of them for completely different reasons. Like, yeah, they, they were both um, awful people. Um, <laughs> and described it as um, like the Squidward Squidward SpongeBob relationship. Yes. Where, where it's like. Squidward desperately hates Spongebob. But... Who doesn't even, like, Squidward doesn't occupy any rent space yeah, in his yeah, mind. Yeah, but Mozart's yeah. just totally unaware that Salieri feels that way, and is like, we're, we're just, he's just my advisor, we're just friends. Yeah. He just, he just like music. Mm. Speaking of music, oh wait, shall I do a plot by plot? No, 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 no we can okay. speak of music. Speaking of music, Chloe, our resident music expert, <laughs> any, any thoughts about the music use? Because music is such so many an... Thoughts integral <laughs> part of this movie yeah. i really really like the bit where salieri was there was a bit at the uh sort of middle of the start i'd say maybe the 40 minute mark where Salieri's reading some of mozart's compositions and then another bit at the end where he's transcribing some mm. music mozart is composing and both times um they score the film with 
that music in the background. Yes. I thought that was really cool. But are, are there any other moments where you were like, wow, what a great use of music direction? Yeah, quite a, quite a few, actually, because I, I thought it was really interesting to me because, uh, like I said before, I was kind of I was wondering if they would ha like have, as is sort of the fashion these days, their own soundtrack, which would incorporate Mozart's music. But it wasn't at all. It was just all uh class pieces of classical music not like like will said not entirely mozart but like it was so cleverly done because they there wasn't just an excuse to not write a score because you you could tell that like where they'd put each mm. thing not only did it absolutely fit the scene but they also it was clear that they hadn't filmed the scene and then gone i guess this music fits they they'd actually like ton stuff to the music like when the father arrives uh, and they've got yeah. the, the the theme of that and everything uh, and then it's like, oh, the father was Don Giovanni's uh, ghostly figure or whatever. I don't know Don Giovanni yeah. that well. Um, but all of that and like, yeah, I think it was really interesting. And I was watching out at the credits at the beginning to be like, is there a composer? Have they done this? No, but there was like a music coordinator and, and, and all of this and, and orchestrated and conducted and things. So they actually recorded stuff, I assume, uh, to put in it, even if it hadn't mm -hmm. been composed for the film, which I thought was really cool. Um, I yeah, also, that's really neat. Okay, I'm going to get into to slight nerddom now, but... No, this is great. A no, couple no, of no, things. This is, this is why we brought you in. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing, uh, as far as I was aware, no trumpets at all, which is perfect because Mozart famously never composed any music for the trumpet. <gasps> it is... It is um, I've seen it quite often um, uh, interpreted as Mozart was scared of trumpets. Personally, I don't think that's true. I think he just didn't like the trumpet. Um, but I'm not sure entirely when the trumpet became sort of uh, a, an instrument that was used a lot, but I think it was around that time, so it would make sense for him mm. to not really use it. Also, mm. um, second thing is, obviously there's a lot of use of harpsichord because of uh, around that time was uh, he... So Mozart is a classical composer. It, the, the the term classical music is not is a bit of a misnomer. It's not entirely correct because classical music is only in a certain period of time. It's in between oh. the Baroque period and the and the Romantic period. And I think the same is true for because the same is true for things like ballet and like art and architecture and all of that. They have similar kind of periods. And so Mozart is a classical composer. The harpsichord is really big in Baroque music. And then he was the composer as far I think I'm not sure on this. He was the composer that started to use the pianoforte, which we now know as the piano. And they, he was playing that when he was composing, or, or at least they were using the piano sound at a certain point, about halfway through the film. Uh, oh, and I that's thought, so cool. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's the perfect place to put the piano sound. Yes, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, I was, I, I, I was really pleased that they clearly put a lot of thought into that kind of thing. Um, oh, I've got one more nerdy music thing that's incredibly nerdy. <laughs> That, mm -hmm. really, that really made me laugh. Right at the end, when they're transcribing the music and uh, Salieri's very much like, I don't understand, what, what are you doing? This is madness. And Mozart's like, no, 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 it's going to sound great. And the thing that he's talking about, he talks about the tonic and the dominant repeating uh, together, which, uh, it, and uh, it's a thing that you're not, in, in quotation marks, not supposed to do when you're composing is oh. consecutive fifths of like tonic and dominant, uh, so it's so a, a fifth and then doing another fifth next to it, you're supposed to change up the interval. And when I say that, I mean that Bach did that and therefore everybody's supposed to do it. Obviously, <laughs> most people don't. Uh, well, most people do, but like 
it's not a hard and fast rule but when i when you're learning music for like academically they're like these are the things yeah. the rules i actually asked why we had to stick to bark bark's rules at once and i was laughed at uh the, my college that i learned oh. music at was very pretentious but anyway <laughs> um so he's like talking about consecutive fifths which every music student is always constantly told like you shouldn't do this at least not in your exam <laughs> you know and then Salieri's like you shouldn't do this what and I was like it just it really made me laugh and I was like this is not meant to be funny but it's so funny to me yeah no that's so good though I think like it's really one of the reasons why I get my own like very vague understanding of why Mozart was so interesting and um sort of became so renowned so quickly and had this celebrity air about him as a composer was because he like did it broke a lot of musical rules and yeah. to it's kind of that thing where like if you know all the rules and are very talented and can play by the rules if you want it's in breaking them that things get interesting exactly yeah yeah i mean mozart is is known as if like if you're going to name one composer from each period like he is the classical composer mm. uh, and that's uh, how long is the periods? It's, it's at least a hundred years, a couple of hundred years, I think, yeah. or, or a peri- like that sort of period. So, you know, that's what exactly what he's known for is doing that kind of yeah. thing. After watching the movie as well, I think I remembered some more of the context of the marketing surrounding it, which is that it, if I remember correctly, the movie was kind of marketed as like Mozart being the original rock star in that like yeah. he got very famous at a young age. Um, did like drank a lot of alcohol did a bunch of drugs partied super hard uh and then died tragically young and penniless which is more or less what we're actually showing Mm. in the course of this film as well is that he had so much ability but he's constantly fighting the i don't say the establishment you 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 know what i mean he's constantly sort of butting up against the rules that are trying to stifle his his Mm. creativity yeah and someone like Salieri, who's more willing to work, you know, in the in the established structure. Yeah, I mean, in the first ten minutes, he makes a bargain with God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, which is which definitely think... not how God works, but sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's very... I was like, this is a very Catholic movie. Yeah. Um, it, he had a very interesting take on God as a concept. And I was like, hmm. Okay, mate. I, you. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think the interesting thing about one of the interesting things about their fictional relationship is that Salieri is just like Mozart you know thinks the world revolves around him he doesn't have any concern for any other type of people it's all about what he wants you know he doesn't recognize the power that he has and Salieri's then like and God's will serves me personally exactly (laughs) or like and then you know which transforms into and God tortures and hates me specifically mm. um which also I find very very narcissistic gone mm. I, I find it's interesting i remember what you said about it being called amadeus and how salieri wasn't the like the main character in his own life story and yet mm. his entire framing of the story was how he personally was a victim and he was the main character of the story you, you know like yeah. everything that he talked about was so insular and like he couldn't possibly consider anything mm. that wasn't affecting him personally like that he doesn't talk about how anybody else feels in the entire thing he only talks about how he feels in like towards other people exactly Um, and i feel like that's super hammered home by the final scene of the movie 
in which, so this whole thing is a framing device where Salieri's sort of confessing to a priest whilst in a institu uh, institution for people who are uh, mentally ill and struggling. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's in the late 1700s to early 1800s, so it's, it's really not a nice place to be. Mm. But because of Salieri's station and his wealth, he has a nice little room, he has a nice little wheelchair, the nurse comes to get him and is like, oh, we've got, you know, all this lovely, we've got sugared roll-ups for you, we've given you some time in the music room so you can play, and there's the gardens outside, and he's wheeled out past other people in the hallway who are implicitly from a lower station than him, who are, like, chained up, um, mm -hmm. and really genuinely struggling and sick, whereas this yeah. is just an old man who is bitterly wallowing in his own misery, and is here because he wants to punish himself, whereas he's surrounded by people who kind of have no choice. And I, I think that's really like epitomizes I, what I his problem is. Mm. Yeah. So, um. Yeah. Well, I mean, any any other notes then, Anne? Well, one of the points I had was Salieri here or villain, but I feel like we've pretty much nailed that <laughs> one down. Yeah. That he's yeah absolutely a villain. Yeah. I think the only way you could potentially even read him as sympathetic is because the story is from his perspective. Mm. But mm. all the way through, it's totally self-inflicted. It it feels almost um, almost like a Greek tragedy in a way where it's his own hubris, his own choices that cause you know the misery he spends his life in. Yeah, is that mm. it's all self-inflicted more or less that it's been bringing. Yeah, kind of all this, all this hatred and negativity and everything on himself. Yeah. Absolutely, because I mean, we even see like towards the end, uh, and from the middle as well, like Mozart kind of sees him almost like as a friend, and it's like you could have had lovely little friendship with this man. You could have collaborated. Oh, you would have been amazing, you know. And but he spends the whole time just bitterly hating him, and yeah. receiving no hatred back, uh, because Mozart has no clue. Uh, so it's like, <laughs> yeah. It's all self-inflicted completely, which is probably what makes it so much of a tragedy from his yeah. perspective anyway. I think speaking of tragedy, it would be really interesting to talk a little bit as well, because Chloe has uh, a bit of drama background. Um, yeah. Kind of about the... Uh, one, one way better. I yeah, mean, yeah. The surround... <laughs> Go on. <laughs> It was just funny to me describing a bit of drama back background and I'm like, my profession is I am an actor. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, the kind of surrounding contextual pieces are like the operas and also I mm. thought this is maybe just a little offshoot point but the way Mozart is presented I'd say is definitely comparable to our own kind of national myth of Shakespeare in that yes. this was a creator who bought quote-unquote lower-class ideals, artistic practices and humour and sort of tried to raise it and make it artistic and in doing so completely sort of changed the form. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, it did occur to me while I was watching it, I was like, these these filmmakers really get opera. They, they understand yeah. What it is, because when you stage an opera, it's uh, it's just utterly stupid. Doesn't matter whether it's a serious or a or a, a serious opera or a comedy. Like you know that it's always the set is incredible, the costumes are incredible, yeah. and it's overacted. You know because it has to be overacted because you couldn't barely understand what anyone's saying. So it's like watching a ballet; everything has to be over the top so that the audience can mm. understand the story. And that's exactly what they did for all of the operas in there. And uh, yeah, and and I think. 
and they also clearly knew the period that they were doing i can't really speak to like the fashions or the architecture or anything but like the ballet and stuff they all had um it was very classical ballet because again like ballet has classical romantic eras and stuff and the ballet that i did was a lot more romantic and that's a lot more flowy and like with um bends more bending in the arms and stuff rather than all the arms being like quite straight for classical and it's very it's very like it's much more sort of corners and things and that's exactly what it what the ballet was even though it was only a tiny bit so i was like oh they have done their research good yeah (laughs) um so yeah that really doesn't answer your question but it's where my brain went from it (laughs) um so i guess going back to what you were saying about period accuracy the final kind of question i have for you guys is obviously as chloe has discussed there has been a great amount of research and detail that's gone into this um mm-hmm. you know the ballet style is accurate the operas they've used and the pieces of music they used have been used like very very intentionally um another thing that's very should be made clear about this movie um is that it's completely, you know, falsified. Salieri and Mozart yeah. barely interacted as far as we know based on historical records. Um, so my question to you guys would be, is what do you think of pieces like this that are kind of a 50-50 of putting in a lot of research and trying to get a lot accurate about the period, but also kind of having a completely falsified story? Does it matter that the details surrounding the costuming and the music are accurate if the story is false like what what do you, do you think it's irresponsible for them not to put a tagline at the start and be like this is basically made up what do you guys think Chloe, do you want to go first yeah well i feel like in the past and this might just be me uh, be, uh acting older than i am and like nostalgizing the <laughs> the past but like i it's felt like very obvious to me as i grew up that if you're dramatizing something, there is no way everything is true or accurate. Yeah, I totally Even if, agree. if you make the biggest effort to make everything as true to life as possible, you can't possibly do it because you can't possibly know a conversation that has gone on behind closed doors. Um, so for me, if I'm watching something like that, I'm watching it with a with the sort of mindset of this could all be entirely false. I would need to mm. research this to find out how much of it is true or not, whatever. Um, but it seems to me as I sort of grown up and as I've sort of paid more attention to how other people watch things and stuff that a lot of people don't watch things like that. And a lot of people don't really consider that sort of aspect of it. It's not necessarily that they don't like, they don't know because if you, if you you just sit down and think about it for a minute, you're like, Oh yeah, of course. But it's just that it doesn't occur to to people. And if you're watching something, um, if you're watching something that you're told, this is based on a true story, if you don't really think about it beyond that, then later, years later, you're going to be like, oh, I remember that one fact. Where do I get that fact from? And it's because you watched it in a yeah. film. You know, so I think it's it's a fine line because mm. it's, it is obvious right. when things are not true or when things or when things might not be true. But it, at the same time, you've got to be very careful with... I mean, this in this case, we're talking about some uh, a composer who's been long dead, so it doesn't really have any real life consequences what people think of, of of his life you know but um i mean nowadays we get we're, we're starting to get more and more films about people that are still alive or people that have been very influential particularly like politics in the very sort of near past and i think that's what that 
kind of concept is when it starts to get quite dangerous because you've got to be very careful what you portray to people that they're going to think about those people because I'm guilty of it as well. I've seen, watched fictionalized versions of things about celebrities or about historical figures and then that colors your view of them even if logically you're like, well, that might not have been true. If you never get any more information, then that's the opinion you have on them. Uh, yeah. So yeah, no, I, I, think, think, I think I think I think you're completely right in that. Yeah. Yeah, I I think the it doesn't. I don't. To me, it doesn't really matter the the, the kind of accuracy of of all of the, the the sort of fashions and whatnot compared to the accuracy of the plot. I don't think those mm. two things really matter so much. I, I think yeah. if it was the other way around. I think I'd have more problem with it because I'd be like, you've tried so hard to be true to your true, true to life and then you've completely messed it up. You know, um, whereas this way around, it feels completely fine. I don't know. Also, also the, the other thing they have is that the entire story is within the narratives told by Salieri. Yeah. So anything that's not accurate or anything that is a bit strange, you could sort of just hand wave and say, oh, that's... Unreliable narrator. <laughs> yeah, unreliable narrator. Yeah. Salieri's recollection of it, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think as well it's worth noting that I feel like the three of us are very fortunate in our positions regarding, like, mm. critical thinking skills. Yes. In that I have a background in media sure. literacy, Chloe has done a degree in how to read and interpret plays, and Will has done a degree <laughs> in how to read and interpret I, fine details I, in I, the I did a I did a degree on how to sing good, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I didn't. I read like one, maybe two plays, while we mm. were there. So I wouldn't describe it as that. But I yeah. have. But because I've yeah. been, I think for all of us, because we've had university educations, just having that university education opens you up to the idea of, hey, this thing I'm reading is maybe not quite the truth. I should do some research into this. You know. Um, so yeah, and that's if, the kind if of... anything, you, you could flip it the other way around and say, okay, someone's seen this film, now they want to find out more about yeah, Mozart. Yeah, exactly. It, we Mozart have Google, like. which yeah. they didn't have in the 80s. Look, look we have yes. Google and Wikipedia, so we can just find out stuff like this. Yeah, you know? like when they were, uh, they present a series of operas that Mozart wrote throughout his life in this film, and mm. when we got to stuff like The Marriage of Figaro... I was like reading the plot on Wikipedia on my phone, being like, I, I wonder if this has any significance to like what's going on in Mozart's personal life in the movie. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I think that it is kind of this double-edged sword of like potentially, like Chloe very rightly said, no matter how much we can go, oh, I don't know whether I really believe it or not, it will still kind of colour our view a little bit. Um but also prompting research, which yeah. I think is great. Yeah. I love research, and I love learning. Uh, yes, we, we do. And we also love talking about films, such as Amadeus. So, <laughs> number 72 on the films of all time. On the films of all time, yes. It's truly one of the films of all time. Uh, Am, any thoughts about I'm that? I'm bumping position? it up to 50. Interesting. I know, Chloe, obviously you haven't seen the full list and it's very subjective and I, I'm not sure you've seen 70 films, but... Uh... No, I don't think I have either. <laughs> <laughs> but, but hypothetically, where would you put it? Um, like, um, roughly? I mean, I'd, I'd say it's one of the better films I've seen in my life. Uh, so I, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's no Back to the Future, but... 
it's no badge feature obviously but tricky question then maybe but um, yeah i don't know i'd agree with that i might put it somewhere in the 50s i think I, I i think that's probably fair i think it deserves a small increase on what it currently has but yeah. I, I wouldn't be like this is an outrage that is ranked yeah. slowly rabble rabble sort there of are other movies we have seen that have been less good than this and ranked higher in that list yeah and like similarly there are other movies we've seen which have been better than this and ranked similarly or whatever yeah. lion king i'm talking to you <laughs> yeah yeah, like, I, I don't know, like, Casablanca's 49 on the list, and I feel like that's much better than this film, mm. I guess is how I... Yeah, thought. I agree. Casablanca is better oh, than this movie. But we also said Casablanca should have been higher, so... Eh. <laughs> uh, and just going to do my silly questions. Um, yes. Each character except one is replaced by a Muppet. Who would you pick? Obviously. Salieri has to be the human, Salieri's right? Salieri's Obviously. Human. Yeah. And, and Mozart. No. Yeah, Mozart's Kermit? It's better, it's better if um, Mozart's a human... Uh, a Muppet, I think. Yeah. I the thing is... It, clearer how ridiculous it is that yeah. Salieri is like incensed with hatred for this man. But Salieri recognises him as an equal genius and he keeps being like, I'm the only one who can understand him. Mm, I'm yeah, not sure. I, th- okay. I think that, that's the thing is that I think Am's having them both as humour makes the, the, the dynamic much clearer, but at the same time, out, if, if, if it was the other way around and everybody was a human and there was one Muppet, Mozart would be the Muppet. Because yeah, the way totally that he's characterised is so Muppet-like. <laughs> yeah, he's just like this little weirdo, like at the yeah. start where he's um, just speaking backwards to his, um, at the mm. time, girlfriend when he's proposing to her. Yeah. And he basically says, marry me backwards and stuff like that because he's just yeah. being a weirdo. Like that is very um, Muppet behaviour. just a little cat boy, little cat boy weirdo. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't get me started, yeah. Okay, okay, so Talking I, I thought we made some, some progress. I was thinking of, um, like, for the Muppet ways, like, this is very Christmas Carol to me. Mm. You know, we have the one character who's, like, worldview insanity is further exposed by... Yes. ...by the fact that, you, by everyone else being a Muppet and making the premise a bit more ridiculous. Mm. So, sorry, Chloe, I cut you off there. Go ahead. Oh, it's okay. I was just going to say how I'm so here for every woman in this film. I know there weren't that many of them. But every single one of them, I was like, yeah, yeah, you go. Slay. Slay. Especially oh, the God. opera singing lady. I was like, oh, I was yeah, right she on was her so side. She was, she was like set up as such a gossip and like a, a bit of a nasty person. And then she just did nothing to, she to warrant that. She disappeared from the movie. And disappeared. And she got like betrayed by Mozart and then was like bitchy about it. And, and, then, just, and then just left. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. You know what? She deserves better. Yeah, she did. <laughs> so, second question. Um, yeah, you can have lunch with one person from the cast or crew. Who would you pick? I um, always like, dibs the at best the one. At the time of the making of this film. Um, so you can pick people that are like dead now or whatever. I always dibs first and I'm not going to steal Mr. Murray Abraham from either of you. So what I will say <laughs> is I'll say Simon Callow. He's in this movie for a bit. He's a great actor, a national treasure, and I love him. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I'd, I'd say Milos Forman. Um, mm. I think he's started some really interesting films that I like a lot. So, there's that. I'm going to be really boring and uh, say that I would like to have dinner with the musical coordinator who the credits say was a man ah. called John Strauss. And I went, what? Any relation uh, <laughs> to the composer? To Johann but Strauss? Maybe. I don't know. But I just would really like to know his thoughts on um like what how they put all of the music with the scenes and stuff great then i will dip back in and take f murray abraham because i do really want to meet with him 
Amazing. Um, what a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. What a good movie, and what a great guest. What a wonderful Aww, guest. Guys. So, what we need to do now, unfortunately, Chloe is, is dialing in remotely. Mm. Um, is pick the next thing, and it's my turn, not Am's turn. That was I'm raffling that. Don't look. I'm Will's not looking. I'm looking. I'm, I'm, I'm. Will's gonna pick three, and then Chloe gets Chloe to pick gets a number. A uh, number Ooh. from one to three is how we're going to maximise interactivity for our guests here. <laughs> we have a box with a bunch of paper. We have a box it. with the, the the physical things written down. Will okay. Will's made a face. Uh, okay, pick. Uh, we, we've done that one already. Um, is pick uh, a number from one to three. Well, I'm going to pick one because that's the day of my birthday. That's <laughs> Chloe, you're oh. never going to guess what it is. It's not Back to the Future. It's Back to the Future! Well, oh my we days! we have to get you back for that one as well. We'll, make it, we'll have to make it a back-to-back -back appearance. Back so to Back I to believe... the Future. Back to Back to the Future. I believe, I can't remember which one of you it was, I think it might have been Will, originally was like, Chloe, when we do Back to the Future, you should come on as a guest. As a guest. It was me because Before they Anne asked me to actually... come on this one. <laughs> yeah, because Anne doesn't actually know that there's, like, what's in the box. Yeah, so. I mean, I did when right. we wrote yes. the list, and then I deleted that information from my memory. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Okay, so... A nice way to uh, break up the pace on the RWD weekend in June. Yeah, I guess next time we will see you for... Back to the future back to, back to the with future. our serial guest, serial guest, uh, yeah. Chloe Elliott. Chloe Elliott. But first of all, Chloe, if people loved your um, very smart um, and lovely, clear voice on this podcast, <laughs> weird, list of weird list of compliments there. Um, where else can they find more, Chloe? Of course, so you can find me uh, everywhere on the internet at Chloe underscore with the flow. I am an actor and performer. I sing. I compose music. Nowhere near as good as Mozart, but that's fine. Uh, I do a bunch of stuff. You can find me streaming on Twitch. I do that three times a week. Uh, you can mm -hmm. find me on Deck of Many Aces with Am, which is a D&D podcast where I am a bard and a rogue and Am is a fighter and it's Grr. going well. <laughs> you can I'm find me on a rendezvous with Destiny with both of these lovely people. Yeah. Uh, where we're all werewolves. And no. we hate we're, each we're other. Where are the wolves? <laughs> so you can find that, um, just search for A Rendezvous with Destiny wherever you get fun independent podcasts. Like this one. I think it's probably linked in the show notes because... I'm it is. That. It's in the show notes. Just but, go to the show. Uh, Our letter much, boxes are in the show notes. Much like Mozart. There you go. Too, too many notes now. Um, we too need to many just end notes. the performance. Because as Chloe said, you, you don't want the show to go on longer than it has to. <laughs> no, so, you definitely don't everyone. want it to go on for 20 minutes of the same thing, like he claimed at one point. Uh, and I was like, no, no one wants to watch that Mozart. And he was so excited. <laughs> and he's like, but I could do it. <laughs> it's like, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, literally, like Jurassic Park. Like, What a great yes. message to carry from this film. Just because you can... <laughs> Doesn't, doesn't mean, mean you should. Because yeah. he was so wrapped up in like whether he could physically make it work that he didn't think about whether it would be like yeah. good entertainment. I thought you were going to say profitable. <laughs> I'm not quite that corporate. Um, okay, well, if so... you want to hear my uh, not quite as good compositions as Mozart, um, they're on nice. SoundCloud. You can find me on Spotify, on Apple Music, on Deezer, on YouTube Music, and Amazon Music. There we go. Yay! Well, Chloe the, the... Elliott. 
The podcast is now over, so it's time for all of us, like Mozart, to lie recumbent in our beds and die at a young age. Gorgeous. Let's Can't wait. Not. What what an exit from Will. Okay, bye guys. Bye. Bye. bye.